So Matthew 23 and verses 1 through to 12. This is God's word to us this morning. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their paracletes wide and their tassels and their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for all you have only one master, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. And we praise God for his word to us. Well, if you have a Bible close to you, let's turn together to Matthew 23, those verses that we read earlier. We have been looking at Matthew uh, towards the end of uh, the springtime, coming up to, to June as well, and uh, we left that off over the summer. We're going to jump back into it now over the next few Sunday mornings, all being well. So Matthew 23, if you've got a pew Bible, it's page 991. Uh, one of the, the accusations that is, is very commonly led against the church in these days is that of being Pharisees. People say Christians, well, they're just a bunch of, just a bunch of Pharisees. And uh, even the secular press, the secular press that has uh, long forgotten the main tenets of Christianity knows enough about the biblical story to, to say, well, Christians, they're Pharisees. And, and Pharisees are, are known as being bad. People wouldn't know an awful lot about Pharisees, but, but even the secular press that's long forgotten about Christianity knows that Pharisees are not to be uh, welcomed. And Jesus, of course, would agree. Uh, Jesus warns us not to go the way of the Pharisee. Here we have in this story Jesus talking about the Pharisees, and he really says, not that way, but this way. That's what we're calling this this morning. Not like that, but, but like this. Not, not like the Pharisees. My people go a, a different way. Now, now, we often think about Pharisees in the Bible as a, a, an illustration in connection with what it means to become a Christian, because they were people, we're going to explain a little bit about some of the things that they thought later on, but, but they were people who, who sought to base their standing on God on their performance. That's a really key thing to, to understand about them. They're religious leaders, they're, they're, they're upright moral people, but, but they really thought that God treated them on the basis of their moral performance, on how well they did at, at their church going and their Bible reading and their praying and their law keeping. That was their, their thinking. You might remember one of the stories in, in Luke's gospel where Jesus tells uh, a parable about uh, two men who go to the temple to pray, and one's a Pharisee and one's a tax collector, and, and the, the Pharisee stands up and he prays, and he says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men. And he goes on to list the good things that he's done. And, and, and what he's really saying is, God, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty well in life. I, I'm, a, 
I'm an upright guy. I, I'm, I'm obeying the law in lots and lots of different ways. And, and that's really what I'm trusting in. And Jesus in that parable tells us that he went home unjustified. He, he was the guy who went out of the temple lost, unsaved. So, so here were people who were trusting in the wrong things. And, and maybe that's something that we really need to clarify this morning, just remind ourselves of that at the start of September. Here's a, a little diagnostic question that we use to open that up. If you're, if you're here and you're, you're trying to explore what Christianity is about, you're trying to get your head around it, here's a really, really helpful little question to try and sort of see what it is we're trusting in. And that is to imagine that we had died and we had uh, appeared, as it were, outside the gates of heaven. The Bible doesn't say it's going to happen like this, but this is just the question. We, we appear outside the gates of heaven, and God says to us, why should I let you into my heaven? What would we say? What, what an important question. And the Pharisees would answer that question. They'd say, well, uh, Lord, you should let me into heaven because I'm not like other men. I, I, I'm, I'm good. I, I, I keep the law. I, I, I go to the synagogue. I, 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 I pray. I fast. I, I give to the poor. All of those things. Lots of people today would answer that question with the same sorts of things. I should get into heaven because I'm better than the average person. I, I, I see the TV. I, I I know what, what society is like. I'm, I'm better than that. I, I'm, I'm more upright than that. I, I go to church. I, I read the Bible sometimes. I, I pray. But you see, all of that, if that's the way that we're answering that question, like the Pharisees, it's the wrong answer because it really shows that we're trusting in ourselves. Lord, you should let me into heaven because of me, because of my performance. That's the way that the man went home from the temple unjustified and lost because we cannot get in by our own performance, but only because of Jesus. So, so a, a, a proper gospel answer to that question might be something like this. Lord, you know that I don't deserve to get into heaven at all, but Jesus died for me. His blood covers all of my sins. I'm trusting in him and him alone. Now, that's a little aside. In a sense, that's how we often think of the Pharisees, really important illustration for us, a warning that we don't misunderstand the gospel by trusting in our own performance. But we're going to see this morning that Jesus is using the Pharisees not to warn people about, about messing out on salvation, but on messing up salvation on, on, for Christians, th that they won't be like the Pharisees and mess up their Christian lives. So it's a warning to those who are already saved. Very important warning. This is the first time we've, we've looked at uh, Matthew since June, and, and uh, maybe need to remind ourselves where we are in this book. Matthew writes his, his gospel for a Jewish audience, and, and uh, he's sort of showing us that, that Jesus is the new Moses, that, that Moses was a major, major figure in the Jewish uh, mindset and psyche, and, and, and he was the one who had given the law, for example. And Jesus comes along and he's the new Moses. He's the new lawgiver. There are five big sections of teaching that sort of correspond to the, the five books of the Old Testament that Moses authored, the Pentateuch. And, and now one greater you see than Moses is here. And, and so Jesus comes along and at this point he, he comes and he enters Jerusalem. 
he enters the, the city in a way that proclaims him to be God's king. He goes to the temple, and we sometimes say he cleanses the temple, but really he, he acts out a judgment on it to say this way of meeting with God that is, has been so broken by the people and by their leadership is passing away now that I am here. And then he teaches in the temple, and that's where we are. He teaches in the temple because here again, the, the word of the Lord has been restored to the center of God's city, Jerusalem. But what grows through this book at the same time is a conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders, the religious establishment. They are failing in their responsibilities. Their faith is empty. They, they have messed up their understanding of the law of God. They've made it a, a way of trying to, to get to God rather than a way of walking in obedience with God. And as they investigate Jesus, their hatred of him grows. They realize that he is a threat to them, and they've decided to kill him. And Jesus, in this chapter, responds to this with a scathing condemnation of them. Jesus could be incredibly controversial, and he condemns them. You see that this chapter is entitled, Woes, Seven Woes on the, on the, the Pharisees. Uh, a woe is just a way of, of, of bringing judgment. It's not only the Pharisees, of course, we're using that as a shorthand for the Pharisees and the scribes or the teachers of the law. Uh, nearly all the Pharisees, nearly all the teachers of the law were, were Pharisees, but not all the Pharisees were teachers of the law. The teachers of the law were sort of a, a, a group that were a little bit higher up again. Their responsibility was to teach and interpret the law, sometimes to teach the children, for example, of the community. But you see here what, what he's doing is he's not, first of all, turning to the Pharisees and condemning them. He's actually talking to his disciples and to the crowd about the Pharisees. You see verse 1, it says, that, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, and he talks about the Pharisees. But then in verse 13, he goes on and turns and speaks to the scribes and the Pharisees. So, so the setup is something like this. Uh, on the one side, there's Jesus' uh, disciples, over here are the, the uh, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, and there's a crowd sort of in the middle, and Jesus is teaching his disciples and mentioning to the crowd about the Pharisees. So they're hearing all of this, can't be too pleased, but he's warning his disciples. So here, this is very much for us. Now, some of you will be aware that, that one of the things that's doing the rounds on uh, Facebook at the moment is one of these seven-day book challenges. You know, you've got to put up, a, uh, you've got to pretend that you've read seven books and, and, and put up a, a picture of them and so on and say what they've meant to you. And nobody's asked me to do that because I've never read seven books. And, and, uh, it, but if I did do that, one of the things that, that, that I, would, I would mention would be Tim Keller's Prodigal God. There, I, I remember very clearly the very first time I read that book, really helpful book, that, that talks about the parable of the prodigal son, tells us that there are two brothers in that parable, which we know, and, and, and points out that the, the elder brother is also lost and that he represents the Pharisees who were listening to Jesus and were complaining about lost people finding salvation. And, and there was a passage in that book that really, really struck me because what it warned us was that we might not be elder brothers like, like Pharisees, but even as Christians, we can take on some of the traits of elder brothers, of Pharisees. 
we start thinking of our relationship with God in terms of our performance, in terms of our rule-keeping, in terms of our self-effort. This is what this paragraph says. It really struck me. There are many genuine Christians who are elder brother-ish, elder brother-ish. Elder brothers have an undercurrent of anger towards life circumstances, hold grudges long and bitterly, look down at people of other races, religions, and lifestyles, experience life as a joyless, crushing drudgery, have little intimacy and joy in their prayer lives, have a deep insecurity that makes them overly sensitive to criticism and rejection, yet fierce and merciless in condemning others. What a terrible picture. And I remember reading that, and it was like somebody turned on the lights for me, partly for my own heart, but partly for what I saw within Christian brothers and sisters in fellowship. Because when, as, as Christians, we start to think of our relationship with God in terms of our performance, like the Pharisees did, then all of these awful consequences come. And so you see, Jesus is saying to his disciples, don't get into the way of thinking of your relationship with God like the Pharisees do, based on performance. There is another way. We're going to look at that. It's a way of grace. It's the only way that we can really have a relationship with God. Don't get infected with the spirit of the Pharisee. Well, this is what we're looking at just now. We're going to pick up two particular things that the Pharisees were characterized by so that we will be warned, so that when we see them in our own lives, we will take action. If you go to the doctors, you'll find that there'll be in the waiting room, there'll be a poster warning you of some disease, you know, that is common and maybe something that has has maybe sort of hit society a little bit, and it's, it's uh, common and, and, and being warned against. And you'll see on this poster signs and symptoms. Here, here, here are the signs that you've got this. Well, here are the signs that we're thinking a little bit like Pharisees. Here they are. First one is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. It's a central problem for the Pharisees and the scribes. They pretend to be one thing while they're actually another. You see it in verse 3. They do not practice what they preach. You see how it's introduced. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. Jesus is either being ironic there or actually acknowledging that, that there are areas in which they teach in terms of the Old Testament books that are absolutely right. But then he says, but do not do what they do for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a figure to move them. I think there was an actual seat in the temple, certainly in synagogues, where some of the religious leaders would teach from. They sat to teach. And the problem wasn't particularly with their teaching, but with the fact that they taught one thing but did another. They had no intention of actually obeying what they were teaching. Now, that's what hypocrisy is. Let's be clear. Sometimes we get this wrong. It is not hypocrisy to fall short of the standards that you believe in or even speak about. We would all fall short of the standards that we believe in and speak about. But it is hypocrisy when you teach something and uphold something publicly but you consciously go in the other direction personally and privately and have no intention of doing otherwise and justify yourself as you do so. 
So, so, so they burdened others, you see, with all of these standards, but they had no intention of following those standards themselves. So here's the, the mark of the Pharisee, the gap between what they taught and how they lived. And no humility in the fact that there was a gap there at all. No confession, no repentance, just thinking of themselves continually as a cut above the rest, even though they were just like the people that they condemned. And don't forget, Jesus is saying, not like that. These are not people to be followed. Beware, he is saying, of the deadly sin of hypocrisy. And it's a sin, you see, that leads you to be hard on others and easy on yourself. Is that, is that a danger that you recognize in your heart? I, I see it in, in mine. That the things that you excuse in yourself, you condemn in others. We have one standard for others, another more lenient standard for ourselves. And Jesus says, here's a way in which you can go wrong. Here's a way in which sin can take root in your life. It will happen as you become judgmental of others, noticing how far they fall short, and yet being self-justifying about your own sin. Remember the story about Jesus where he said, take the plank out of your own eye before you deal with the speck in somebody else's eye. Remember Keller said in his quote that, People who live like Pharisees have a deep insecurity that makes them overly sensitive to criticism and rejection, yet fierce and merciless in condemning others. A number of years ago, I had a privilege of working in a church with a very godly leader, and I remember him uh, talking about someone who had gotten into trouble as a Christian and ended up making a terrible mess of his life, and, and, and he simply said about him, you know, as I talked about him, I realized, as I talked to him, he said, I realized that he considered himself to be an exception. He considered himself to be the exception. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, the commandments apply to, to some people, other people, but, but not so much to me. Good practice with moral things apply to other people, but not to me. He considered himself the exception. That's one of the ways in which we end up being like Pharisees, hypocrisy. Second thing that Jesus highlights here about these Pharisees is, is they, they're seeking of honor, they're seeking of acclaim. Uh, Jesus goes on to describe them in, in, in different ways, and we could sum up lots of the things that he says about seeking, seeking acclaim. Everything, verse 5, everything they do is done to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have men call them rabbi. So it was all about show. You know, the old golf says you drive for show and you putt for dough. Well, they prayed for show. Don't know what they putt it for, but, but they, they prayed, for, prayed for show. And Jesus pointed out some of the ways in which they did that. The, the, the Orthodox Jews today even still will have a little leather box that they will tie onto their forehead, a little piece of scroll within it with some of the law on it, some of the Ten Commandments, for example, and it's carrying their law around and strapping it to their head from Deuteronomy. And, and, and they made their little boxes big boxes so that everybody would know that they were really taking this very, very seriously, phylacteries. 
the, the, the tassels on their prayer shawls. They ordered the specially long tassel ones from Amazon so that they could, could be seen to have those really, really prayerful shawls. They must pray a lot. It's a bit like, you know, putting pictures of your quiet time on Facebook so that people will say, wow, don't know how you do that, but, but uh, uh, you know, so that people think, what, what an what a incredible Christian they are. And then there's all these references to, to titles, rabbi and teacher and father and so on, as well as the seats, the seats of honor. It's not particularly that the titles are wrong in themselves, but the, the Pharisees were obsessed with them and obsessed with the pecking order that they represented. They needed others to, to bring them acclaim. Because you see, they weren't living a life with a relationship with God. They were just thinking about how other people see me. Reminds me of a minister who got into an argument on a golf course many years ago, and he said at one point, don't you know who I am? Really? That's the spirit of the Pharisee. You've got to know who I am. Others must recognize me and give me the place that I desire. Do you see that in your life? What do you do whenever you get overlooked? What do you do when you've, you've done something and nobody notices? Nobody says thank you. If you find anger and bitterness jumping up in your heart, a sense of entitlement, didn't anybody notice me? It's just what Jesus is warning us of here. So you see, here's this bleak picture of the Pharisees who've no real sense of God in their lives or just living life on a sort of a horizontal plane. It's, it's a godless religion. Thinking about how they fare in relationship to others. Teaching one thing, doing another. Don't be like that, Jesus says. As my disciples, you can go that way. You can drift into that. How we must avoid that. But the question, of course, is how? How do we avoid that? Because if you're anything like me, you can see the seeds of those things, not even the seeds, but the shoots of those things in your life all the time. How do we, how do we fight against that? What's the solution? Well, not like that, but like this. Well, the, the solution is to know the grace that the Pharisees did not know, that they had rejected. You see how... Jesus tells his people they are to be, not like that, but conscious of what grace has made them. You see, what is the gospel that the Pharisees had rejected? It is that God rescues us not because of what we have done. It is not that we climb up and be good enough. It is that God reaches down even though he knows we are not. You know, if, if God, we've, we've heard this before, if God were, allow us to, were to allow us to see the depth of our sin at this moment, we would die in an instant. We couldn't cope with it. The horror of it, to really feel it, it would kill us in an instant. We are so bad that Jesus had to die for us. Think of it, Savior of the world. Son of God, he had to die. We're so bad, he had to die for us. But we are so loved that he was glad to die for us. So we are welcomed based on his performance and not ours. 
Now, that's the gospel that the Pharisees have rejected. So you see, knowing that, Jesus' followers are free to admit their feelings and their sins. They don't have to pretend like the Pharisees did. They can face up to their sin and repent of it, not excuse it. And they will not be, Jesus' followers will not be obsessed with titles and pecking orders because God's grace has been poured into their lives and it means that they have a relationship with him. He is your father. He has given you the acceptance that your heart yearns for. The ruler of the universe says, you're okay with me. Well, if that is the case, where does it matter where you come in the pecking order? What does it matter? What recognition you get? You're welcomed by the King of Kings. You see, grace does that. Grace says to you, you have ultimate acceptance and approval. And that means that you're set free from all human approval. What does it matter? It pales into insignificance besides what you've been given by God. You've seen that lovely story in the news this week about uh, Professor Joycelyn Bell Burnell, a Lurgan lady originally, went to Lurgan College, won a science prize of 2.3 million pounds planetarium physics stuff. And, and she generously donated all of her money back to science. Well, you imagine that she gets this letter, a check in it. How thrilled she is. And she's in Tesco. She's buying one of those $2.99 meal deals. And her club card won't swipe. 2.9 points that she's missed out on. Is she going to be cross about that? No, she's, she's holding in her hand incredible recognition and honor and an incredible fortune. She's going to be worried about 2.9 Tesco points. You see, Jesus is saying, look at the grace that you have been given. These things that the Pharisees obsess about, acclaim, recognition, honor, pecking order, they shouldn't matter to you. They don't have divine approval, but you do. And that means that everything is turned on its head. The greatest among you will be your servant, verse 11, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisees could not understand that, but if you believe the gospel, you should. What does that mean for us as we start another year in Hill Street? Or in Bucknell? Are we going to pretend with one another? Well, we don't need to. Because Jesus takes us as we are, broken, sinful people. Doesn't leave us as we are, but he welcomes us as we are. Are we going to vie for position with one another? Going to crave one another's approval? Some of us have been taking back-to-school photographs this week. You know what it's like when you have, you know, several children lining up to take their photograph? They're, they're, they're up on their tiptoes. I'm bigger than him. Elbows are out. I'm at the front. Is that what we're like? In as much as we do that, we have forgotten the gospel 
that the acceptance and welcome that we have in Jesus Christ makes all of these things pale into insignificance. And so we are set free to serve one another. You know what the Bible calls us to? All of those one another's. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but with humility. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Accept one another just as Christ accepted us to the glory of God. How do we get like that? We get like that because we get grace. We understand the gospel. We are drenched in the love of God. We have the smile of God. And so we say, I need nothing else. Let's get on with serving one another and a lost world. Let's pray together. Lord, help us with these things. You know our hearts. We know them a little. And we don't always like what we see there. We pray that you will help us to rest in the limitlessness of your grace that we might be people transformed, not to live like Pharisees, but like children of the living God. We pray in his name.